0: If you would have asked me at the beginning of March, if um, Warren would have been here, I would have said, he's probably still going to be in ICU. (laughs) And um, Warren, I can tell you that there are people in our congregation who have um, prayed for you every prayer that they have offered for the last uh, three months. If you would open your Bibles, or rather, um, well, yes, I always want to encourage you to open your Bibles, um, but if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you would, uh, or you'll notice that we have uh, the Scripture printed out, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, and then verses 11 through 20. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray as your word is read and then proclaimed that Christ would would fill our hearts by faith. Father, I pray that there would not be a person here who, um, who leaves without knowing Jesus Christ, without rejoicing that Christ is there, a living, risen Savior. Father, fill our hearts by Your Spirit, with Your Word, and by faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please hear the word of God, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 11 through 20. The Apostle Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of them are most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Whether then it was I or they. So we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. J.N.D. Anderson, in his little booklet, states that Easter is not primarily a comfort but a challenge. Its message is either the supreme fact of history or it is a gigantic hoax he goes on to say, "...we ourselves find it hard to see the issue so clear-cut, for ours is a tolerant age, and one is suspicious of all fanaticism. Most people have not the slightest desire to attack the Easter message, yet they only half believe it. To them it is a beautiful story, full of spiritual meaning, so why worry if it's not literal facts?" Anderson goes on and he says either it is infinitely more than a beautiful story or else it is infinitely less. If it is true in speaking of the resurrection of Christ then it is the supreme fact of history. If it is not true If Christ be not risen, then the whole of Christianity is a fraud foisted on the world by a company of consummate liars or at best, deluded simpletons. Are you surprised at such frankness on Easter? This frankness actually reflects the frankness of the Apostle Paul here in the passage that I I just read. In fact, if you uh, glance at verse 14, uh, the Apostle Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So, this morning, for every one of us in this room, it is vital for you it's vital for every one of us to come to a decision about the resurrection is it true or is it a gigantic hoax I recognize this morning before I even begin there's nothing that I will be able to say that will make you believe if there was something I, I could say someone would have already said it long before I could have thought of it and it would have been said but god can say something and if he so desires he will be persuasive in your life and in your thinking he does not he does not persuade us by philosophical arguments he persuades us by displaying his love through the gospel so that raises the question for us this morning what is the gospel Well, if you look at verses 1 and 2, it's the content of Paul's preaching. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so it's the content of his gospel. Um. or the content of his preaching. So what is this gospel that he is preaching? Well, he defines it for us in verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered over to you as of first importance. If you want to know what the Bible says, in summary, verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. This is the entire message of the Bible in two verses. That's why he says it's of first importance. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The first thing we see here is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is the reason Jesus left the earth and I'm sorry, left heaven and came here to earth. He would not have come here to earth. He would not have left the father's right hand and come here to earth taking on flesh if we did not need to be redeemed. He would not have come here if we had not needed redemption. His coming to earth is a declaration that we as human beings are sinners. His coming is a declaration that every one of us in this room have offended God. His coming to earth is a declaration that every one of of us in this room need to have our sins forgiven. That we have broken his laws and that we need his salvation. In other words, Jesus was born for Easter. Or to put it another way, Christmas is for the purpose of Easter. Jesus came here to earth in order that He might submit Himself to that awful cross. He came here to earth to wear our sins. He came here to earth to stand in our place, to bear our punishment in order that He might make us righteous before our holy God. I'm talking here about the theological aspects of Christ's coming. But in doing so, I also don't want to overlook the love that persuaded Him, that motivated Him to come. He came here to earth and submitted Himself to the cross because He loves us so much. In fact, the Father sent Jesus here to earth to die on that awful cross because the Father loves us so much. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And even though the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross... If he had not been raised from the dead, if he had not been resurrected, his death would have been in vain. But Christ did rise again from the scripture uh, rise from the dead according to the scriptures. look at verse twenty, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. it is in his resurrected life that we have life. It is in his resurrection that we are justified before God. It is in his ascension to the Father's right hand that we have fellowship with God. And so then the question becomes, if this is the gospel, and this is the most important message in the scriptures and the most important message for mankind to hear that he died um, on the cross that he was raised uh, from the grave if that is so important then the question becomes well how do we know this gospel is true it sounds wonderful God loves us he loves us so much that he sent his son to die How do we know this gospel is true? Verse 3, again, the last half of verse 3... He says Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Again in verse 4, He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Scripture she's talking about here, the New Testament hadn't been written, the Scripture she's talking about here is the Old Testament. In other words, the Old Testament prophesied the Gospel. The entire Old Testament points to Christ and the Gospel. On Wednesday evening, we have a meal over in the Fellowship Hall. And it's informal. It's family-oriented. And uh, after the meal... I stand up and I'm supposed to limit it to about 10 to 15 minutes. I guess it's a little longer, my wife would tell me. Uh, but we go through these devotionals. And we've just been moving right through the scriptures, uh, passage by passage by passage. And we've gotten kind of stuck in Exodus in the uh, the, the ten plagues. And uh, we've just move past the tenth plague we've been looking at the Passover and each week as I'm explaining the Passover I can see Christ so clearly proclaimed. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He said in Luke 24 after his resurrection there on the Emmaus road he says the Old Testament speaks of me. And so, one proof that we have for whether this gospel is true is that we have an entire Old Testament record. 39 books written over a couple of thousand years that point to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul also appeals to eyewitnesses in verses 6 through 8. He says, Then he appeared to more than, or I'm sorry, in verse, in the end of verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, that he appeared to Cephas, and that's um, another name for Peter. And then to the twelfth, the twelfth uh, uh, apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers. And the apostle Paul says, some of these are still alive, though some of them have died by the time he's written this. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he also appeared to me. And so the apostle Paul says, I know it's true because I saw, I met the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we all know that that account comes from Acts chapter 9. It's the Apostle Paul is walking down the Damascus Road. So he's saying it. I know it to be true because I saw the risen Lord. But how do we, living in 2010, how do we know this is true? Well, if you're looking for absolute certainty this morning, I can't help you. But for those of us who believe, we know that we know Him. Our faith is not simply a wish or a leap of faith. We know Him. We love Him. And best of all, we know that He loves us. We not only know Christ, but we know that He rose from the dead. And the gospel that we believe rests squarely upon this fact of the resurrection. Verses 12 through 20. The Apostle Paul says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if there is no resurrection, Christ has not been raised. He is still in that tomb wherever He was laid 2,000 years ago. Verse 14, as I've already touched on, if there's no resurrection, the preaching is useless. And not just today on Easter Sunday. It's useless every Sunday. If there's no resurrection, then I think that the entire concept of truth becomes useless. There's no objective set of truth. There's no truth giver. And all becomes relative. If there's no resurrection, then I'm a false witness. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, uh, that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, so if there's no resurrection, I'm a false witness. I am bearing false witness because I am preaching a lie. And if God says Christ was raised from the dead, verse 20, then it makes God's word a lie. And it makes God out to be a liar. And if God is a liar, then God is not God. The Apostle Paul also says if there's no resurrection, This life is all there is. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And when he says not even Christ, he's saying, well, Christ hasn't been raised and none of us have any hope of a resurrection either. We have no hope. If Christ has not been raised, we have no hope for life after death. Not only that, if there's no life after death, we have no transcendent purpose in life. Not only that, we have no concept of justice. Hitler escaped the hangman by taking his own life. The only justice for Hitler... If there is no resurrection, was simply him taking a bullet to his head after sending millions of people to ghastly deaths? The whole concept of justice is eroded if there is no life after death, if there is no resurrection. In fact, The entire ethical system on which we live our lives begins to unravel. There is no binding sense of right and wrong if there is no resurrection. Verse 17 If there is no resurrection, we are still in our sins. If Christ has not been raised, the Apostle Paul says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. No redemption. No forgiveness. Verse 18, no salvation. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And so he concludes in verse 19, If there is no resurrection, we are to be pitied more than all people. Christ, or rather Christianity... It's not a crutch for weak-minded people. As pastor, I get the privilege, more than most, of seeing how much our congregation gives. I've never looked at your tithes and offerings. I never will. I don't want to. But I get the joy of being the conduit for generosity. If somebody wants to give something anonymously, they'll usually go through me. And I get to see that act of generosity that no one else sees. And that generosity comes after most of you have given sacrificially in the offering plate, giving your tithes and offerings. Also, I know how much some of you are suffering for your confession of Christ. And I know it's a minor amount of suffering compared to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are living in abject poverty, in persecution, and having to worship God in secret, and some even losing their lives. And so our suffering is minor compared to theirs, but it's painful nonetheless. So I know... That Christianity is not simply a crutch for the weak-minded. Because I see some incredible acts of love. I see some incredible steadfastness in the face of persecution or suffering. I see uh, incredible faith in the midst of, of trial and sickness. But if all this is a gigantic hoax then what's up the money that's given every week what's of the persecution and the suffering that we face what of the faith that we develop that we, that we um, seek to grow in What of this relationship with Christ? But we believe in the resurrection of Christ. For we who believe in Christ and His resurrection, the resurrection indeed is the supreme fact of history. And to know that we are loved by our Savior is the supreme joy of our lives so I raised the question that I raised at the beginning. I raised the challenge that I raised at the beginning. What is the resurrection for you? Whatever your thought process is right now, pause and ask that question. What is the resurrection for you? You may have come here this morning for a comfort and received a challenge. but I think it is right to give that challenge. Do you believe that Christ rose from the dead? And if you don't, my encouragement to you would be that you ask God to transform you by giving you the gift of faith in Christ. Ask Him. Seek Him. And you will find Him. And for we who believe, Christ is not simply the supreme fact of history. He is our supreme joy. He is our supreme relationship. He is the supreme purpose in our life. He is our supreme Lord, Shepherd, Savior, and King. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before You this morning and we ask that Christ would be exalted in our hearts as our risen King and that every day, even moment by moment through the day, that He would be enthroned even more so as we um, hold on to Him by faith. Father, I thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank You that He is so glorious that death could not hold its grip on Him, that He broke the chains of death and that He took up His life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And He is seated at Your right hand. having made, having paid for our salvation, He now lives to make intercession for us. Our Father, as we live here on this earth, we long for His coming. Come, O Lord, and receive us back to Yourself. We pray in that glorious name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.